It is? I don't know if Mike's working. I guess Mike is. Not today, but tomorrow. Let's, uh, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us here tonight. Um, often we think we come because we choose to and because um, we got invited or because we just showed up or we wandered in or we've been coming here so often that our car just sort of knows the way. Um, Father, but you call us here and you bring us here and you brought us here for a reason. Um, and you invite us to learn of you and to learn of your ways. And you invite us to be in community together and to hear each other and learn from each other and love each other and offer ourselves to each other. So Father, I just pray that this would be a good evening for all of that and that your word would go out, that um, <clears throat> I would not get in the way, and um, but that you might use me as a conduit of your word to your people. And I pray that um, you would give these people ears to hear you speak, hear your truth, um, and that we would not be afraid of it but walk boldly into it, and that we would hear you and you alone, that your voice would be the only voice that is truly heard here tonight. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. In this Lenten season, we're spending some time thinking about forgiveness, and we're sort of working our way down a path in a uh, to kind of define what forgiveness is for us, and then what it takes for us to truly forgive others and to uh, offer forgiveness and, and to receive forgiveness. And we're doing that around one particular passage, Ephesians 4, verses 30 to 32, which reads, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. <clears throat> and I'm going to concentrate tonight on that whole middle part of quarreling and malice and anger and, and rage against each other and brawling and slander and just that, that part of it kind of wrapped up in sort of that quarreling way in which so many of us spend our time and so many of us uh, often live. When I was a kid, our family was sitting out on a summer's evening uh, in Phoenix, and I was probably 10 years old, and we were sitting out on the front porch eating watermelon, because that's what you did on a hot summer evening in Phoenix, and... <coughs> And we were, uh, because we had watermelon, flies were buzzing everywhere. And my dad was like the the Dutch Mr. Miyagi, right? I mean, he could grab a fly out of the air and not crush it or kill it and then, you know, let it escape. And anyway, he was pretty amazing with catching flies. And he caught a fly and it was buzzing around. And then he kind of opened his hand and he goes, Oh, it's a little baby fly. Now, 
I had gone to the library, which we always did every Saturday, and I had gotten a book and I had read all about flies and I knew that you never saw a flying baby fly. Because flies, when they're hatched, are full grown. And I wanted to share this vast knowledge of mine with my dad. Now, I had returned the book to the library. I no longer had it. So I said, Dad, you are wrong. That is not a baby fly. That is a full-grown, very small fly. And he looked at me, son, are you stupid? It's a, it's a baby fly. And I argued with him, and I presented the facts as I had read in this book, and I tried very, very hard to display my newfound knowledge. And I turned to my mom and my siblings for help, and they laughed at me, and they mocked me. And for the next several weeks, when we saw a bug, we go, oh, is that a baby fly rod, you know? like. So I vowed revenge, because there's nothing sweeter than revenge. And so I went, and I checked that same stinking book out of the library, and I almost had to reread like three quarters of it, and I found where it said what I knew it had said, and I went and read the passage to my dad, and he said, wow, don't tell me you're so dumb that you believe everything you read. You know, I remember that moment 55 years later. I remember it because I actually was crushed by that. That was that moment when I thought Dad would be proud of me for learning things and remembering things. And I had an older sister who was valedictorian of every class she was ever in, always got straight A's, was a brilliant student, was really super smart. And I'd come along, and because I had been born not able to see I uh, very well at all, and for the first eight years of my life was just basically blind as a bat. I I didn't. Um, I wanted my dad to say you're you're really smart, but he said I was probably kind of stupid. And that confirmed what my teachers had said about me. Rod simply doesn't apply himself. In class, he doesn't pay attention. He's always staring out the window. He's off on other things. He, who knows what he's doing? He doesn't, he's not, he's not doing well in school. It was the bully who told me that I was dumber than a bag of hammers. It was, uh, my cousin who told me if my brain was gasoline, I wouldn't have enough to power an ant's motorcycle around the inside of a Cheerio. We, we were a pretty creative family, and when we insulted, we insulted really well. And and now Dad thought I was stupid because I had proved to him that there was no such thing as a baby fly. The truth is, it was never about 
that whole argument, that whole debate, that whole discussion, it was never about flies. It was about a kid who wanted his dad to say, wow, you're really smart. That's all it was really about. We argue, we quarrel, we fight. And it's never about the baby flies. It's never about the facts of the case. We think it is, but it never is. We have to prove that we're right. We have to show that for some reason we have to show ourselves to be right. So we, so we argue and we go to war over the dumbest things in the world. But I'm right. A huge thing that stands in the way of forgiveness for all of us is that we want to be right. We want to argue. We want to quarrel. We want to win. We want to be right. We want to be seen as right. All the wisdom in Scripture points that there's a whole different way. But we won't go there. We don't look there. Proverbs 17, verse 14 says, Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam, so drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. Why do you just keep going? Proverbs 15, verse 18 says, A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. Proverbs 20, verse 3 It is to one's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. We love to argue. We love to fight. When I first got on Facebook, I got on Facebook for one reason and one reason only, and that was to play Scrabble with my siblings. That was all I wanted to do. And then I found out it was kind of a fun place to keep track of my nephews and nieces and see what was going on in people's lives. And then we started going to war. And so I decided I am never going to unfriend anyone on Facebook till, from then till I die, or as long as there is a thing called Facebook. I am never going to unfriend someone. Because people kept unfriending people and they kept blocking people and they keep going to war because they have to be right and they have to be seen as right. Despite scriptural wisdom that points other places, we decide that we'll just unfriend the people who disagree with us. We'll just unfriend the people who we don't like, who say something that hurts us, that causes us pain. So I have a friend on Facebook, and if you go through my friend list, you might eventually figure out who he is. Um, <coughs> he uh, He's just mean. If you know his story, you know why. He was horribly abused. But he, he has decided that, for, he, he had like a season where he decided that he was going to force me to unfriend him. So he would post all this garbage on my Facebook page and he'd say, now all your Christian friends will be horrified by what I just wrote and then as their pastor, you're going to unfriend me, you're going to have to. And I laughed and I said, fat chance. 
I care about you too much. I don't care what people think of what's on my Facebook page. So then he tried again and again, and then finally he wrote me a long note and said, wow, you're the only person I've ever met who won't unfriend me that I can't drive away. He didn't want to be driven away. He wanted to be loved and cared for and thought about. He developed such a scar around the pain in his life that it was almost impenetrable except by love. James 4 verses 1 to 3 says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Think about that. Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? We think it's about what's out there. No, it's about what's in here. You desire but do not have so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you might spend what you have on your own pleasures. Words, quarreling, fighting, what we say to each other matters deeply. We can kill with our words. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to destroy someone with words? But I'm right. I'm just telling the truth. I'm just saying it like it is. Hmm. You don't get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. So tonight I want you to ask yourself, why is it so important for you to be right? Why do you have to be right? What is it about being right? What is it about winning? What is it about being correct? What is it? Why is that so important to you? Is it validation? Giving yourself validity? Dad, everyone in the world thinks I'm stupid, but at least you think I'm smart, right? Oh, you don't either. We look for validation. We look for that, that, that truth that, that if that comes out, at least if that's said, then everyone will know the truth about me, that I'm okay, I'm not stupid, I, I'm just a regular person. Why is it important for you to be right? Is it superiority? Is it ranking? Is it so you know where you fit in the pecking order? I have to be right so I can prove that I'm better than you, smarter than you, bigger than you, stronger than you, tougher than you, youer than you, whatever it is, what is it? In your eyes, I need to be seen a certain way. 
Miriam was valedictorian of every class she was ever in. My little brother, Mark, same thing. Brilliant people. And I'm in the middle, and I'm in the lower end of <laughs> my class, and I'm the one who's going to get sent to special schools because I'm not very bright. I want to know my place in the pecking order. If I can prove that there are baby flies, then I'll increase and others will decrease. Where am I in the pecking order? Where, where do I rank? What happens if I'm at the very bottom? What happens if I'm the stupidest person? You know, there has to be the stupidest person in the world. What happens if I am that person? What happens if that's me? What happens if that really is true? Right? That's the terror in us. We want to be ranked somewhere that's not at the bottom. And frankly, for many of us that think the top is glorious, uh, we don't want to be ranked up there either. We just, what happens if I'm the worst in the world? So that's why we would think maybe it's important to be right. Why is it important for you to be right? Revenge? We think revenge is sweet. It's horrifying. Revenge never satisfies. The false belief out there is that if I get revenge, if I get even, then I'll be okay. No, you won't. You will have destroyed your soul. When I was chief financial officer of Charlie C. Jones Incorporated, I was offered a, um, a, a payoff, uh, paid off stock in lieu of a raise. And so I arranged the books to create that to happen so that I received this gift uh, in lieu of a raise. And then my boss got confronted by that by others and he denied that he had okayed it. And so the other shareholders were angry with him at first. And then when he denied it, accused me of theft. They accused me of doing a stock transfer that was deceitful and, and stealing from the company. And they were going to call the sheriff. And I said, what? I did what I was told to do. And they said, no, you didn't. And so I said, well, then call the sheriff. And I was about to be arrested um, for defrauding the company. That's a terrifying place to be. For those of you who have never been falsely accused, um, you have no idea what that moment is like. It's why I'm pretty hesitant to accuse anybody of anything or any motive because I've been falsely accused and I know what that feels like. It's terrifying. So while I was waiting for the sheriff to come to arrest me, the attorney for the company and the, uh, and the uh, CPA for the company came by and I told them what was happening and they said, Rod, we were in the meeting when your boss made that agreement. 
will testify on your behalf. And then they went and talked to the other shareholders and the truth finally came out and I was not arrested. Thank goodness. And I wanted revenge. I wanted to get even. And I left the company shortly thereafter and I vowed revenge. The leader of the opposition was Ken and Ken was, um, had been my, you know, one of us, one of the two of us was going to be the next president of the company and, and he won and I lost and I sat at home and I thought every night I thought I'll get even. If I do this and this and get this other guy to sell his stock to so-and-so and then I can get, and then I'll do the, I was plotting ways of getting even. Because I was right. Revenge sounded fantastic. Getting even, destroying his life for having almost destroyed mine, perfect. The Spirit came to me in the middle of the night. and told me to go forgive my enemy. And the next day I walked into his office and forgave him. And I still remember the dumb look on his face when he went, he didn't even know what I was talking about. But I did. And it changed my life. Why is it so important for you to be right? Why do you have to be right? And maybe you kind of come to that point where you're saying, well, maybe I don't have to be right, but at least I have to be seen as right. What would it be like to be absolutely right? What would it be like to be seen as absolutely right, but only have... Jesus be the one who sees it. What happens if the whole world decides that there are baby flies and Jesus says, Rod, you're right. There are no such things. I created them. I know. You and me, just you and me. The whole rest of the world is wrong. The whole rest of the world is wrong, but you and me, we got it. Would that be enough? Would that be enough for you? It's just you and Jesus knew you were right? Why is it that the other person 
must see you as right. What's that about for you? What is the demand? Go look at your motives. The next time you're in an argument, the next time you're in a fight, the next time you think you have to win, why is that important? Why is it important that that person in that moment see you as right? Examine that motive. Look at what's going on in your heart then. But 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 they're wrong. Rod, there's truth. I know some of you are going to tell me this. Rod, there's absolute truth. Everybody knows this. It's a fact. What happens if everybody knows it and it's still not true for the person that you're talking to? Why is that so stinking important to you? Now, I get it, right? There are times when when you say, here's the truth, and it's really important that you know it's true. You're standing in the high-speed lane of the freeway. It's not likely you're going to live long doing that. You need to move, please, right now. I'm begging you. No, I think I could stand here for a while. Matter of fact, I may take a nap. No, no, no. Like That's the kind of argument that that yeah, you should probably just go ahead and and get really excited about right and 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 get the person out of the high speed lane of the freeway. I, I get that right. There there are those kinds of truths right. But in the moment, always examine: is this a life and death moment? So that's a question. Can you wait for justice? Can you wait to be vindicated? Can you wait for the truth to come out? No. Got to be said now and got to be done now. They're wrong, I'm right. Got to win the argument. Very important. Can you wait? Can you wait for God to move, for God to act? We are so, so, so in the moment that we forget how long God takes to do stuff. Really important stuff. Do you know that between the Old Testament of Scripture and the New Testament of Scripture, there's 400 years of waiting in silence for all those people who believed and trusted, waiting for this Messiah to come, this Jesus to come, this one who is right to come. There's this constant long-term waiting, this waiting for that, that moment. 400 years. How many generations? Seven, eight generations? A lot of generations of waiting Waiting, waiting some more. Can you wait? Can you wait? Can you wait on God? Can you wait on Him to move? You say, no, Rod, I, 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 I got to clear this up now. I got I to gotta win this argument now because it's really important. What is it like for you 
to be right. Sure, you're right. And to walk away being viewed as wrong. That's hard, right? That's a, that's a hard thing to imagine. But I'm right. But they think I'm wrong. And I just walked away. Why are you building on stuff? Go back to those proverbs. Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam, so drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. Right? Drop it. But when you drop it, you say, "But, but, but then I, I, I'm not vindicated. But then, but then I don't, then I don't win. I, I, the other person thinks they won, and and they're wrong." One of the paths towards forgiveness is to not win. Is to not convince someone. Is to not be right. Jesus stands before Pilate and he's confronted and he doesn't answer. Pilate wins the argument and Jesus wins the war. Can you just be silent? Here's an even tougher question. Can you be silent and not be arrogant? Right? That's the ugly one, right? Yeah, I'm not saying anything. They're still wrong. (laughs) Right? They're still wrong. I know they're wrong. Yes, yes, I'm not saying anything. Right? The path to forgiveness is a hard path, folks. It really is. Jesus is right about us. Jesus knows everything about us. He knows us and he created us and he made us and he made all things. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 says, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. He made everything. He knows everything. He knows me. He knows all about baby flies. And he doesn't choose the path of power 
authority, proof, being right, being correct. He doesn't destroy us as he's promised to do when he said, if you sin and fall short of my glory, you sin, the wages of it is death, you will die. No, he won the argument. He won the argument. Satan comes to him and says, Hey, <laughs> look at your people. They sinned and he draw. you have to kill them. You said you would, so he draws back his hand to kill them. And then all his passion, according to Hebrews or uh, Hosea chapter 11 says all his passion is aroused. And he says he cannot carry out, he can't kill us because he loves us so much. He can't destroy us. He, he refuses to. And Satan says, gotcha, Jesus. Gotcha, God. Ha, ha. I win the argument. You can't do it. Instead, he chooses the path of laying down his own life, taking all that sin on himself, all our sin, all my sin, all my demands about baby flies are on him. And he gets it, and he lays down his life and dies for us. And then he doesn't say, I did this for you and now you owe me. He says, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. Can you do that? We prayed that a little while ago. Did you pray that with sincerity? Give us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. Can you lay it down? The demand to win the fight. Any questions? Pushbacks? Thoughts? Arguments? Uh, I just wanted to say that it was such a good follow-up from the last time I heard you preach, because I, because you had asked, um, or that I had said, like, what about when I can't or don't want to love Christians who literally believe the opposite as I do about the Gospels? I feel like this is the answer. It took an entire <laughs> sermon. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm kind of slow at things. Sorry. <laughs> I think the hard part about people disagreeing sometimes is sometimes it, it feels like they're saying, basically, you're lying. I don't respect you. So you feel this disrespect, and you, they're basically accusing you of lying. And if you 
if you back down, yeah. Along with that, um, just you know, mirroring how, like I often feel about people who are wrong when I am right, and I have sort of a contempt for them. Then, if I let them be right, I expect that contempt to be on me now. As Jeff was saying, you're accepting the disrespect, you're accepting the contempt that they have for you, and not pushing back against it. And yes, you're right. It's very hard. Yeah, the uh, the Savior took all of our contempt and disrespect and wore it. This is a strange question, but what's your obsession with baby flies? Baby flies? I don't know. It was a moment. <laughs> you guys can Google it now. See, in the old days, we didn't have Google. We had the library, and it took like weeks to come up with answers instead of a few keystrokes. Anyone else? Um, a thought that occurred to me was that like, in our culture, we value being right so much that it doesn't make sense to say, well, I'm just going to give up being right because that's what everything is about for us. It's about winning and being the smartest. But with Jesus, the most important thing is relationship. And so then if you can make room for somebody to be wrong or to push contempt onto you and just sit there and take it silently and humbly, then in the paradigm where you're saying the most important thing is relationship, not being right or being more powerful, then it makes sense. Because if it's all about relationship, of course you would do that. It's still really hard. <laughs> okay, the lawyer's going to push back a little. Um, it's my job to be right. <laughs> State of Arizona get pretty mad at me if I'm not <coughs> right. So how do we balance that with our... You sure. Know, professional lives. That's fun that you would mention that because that, that actually happened for me as well. Um, back in the day, you know, I became the arbiter of truth um, in, as part of my job. Whether someone could stay in the Teen Challenge program or be forced to leave was up to me, and I had to decide, and I had to be the arbiter of truth. That was a horrible place to be. It's a hard job. And you know what? You're going to get it wrong. You're not going to be perfect because we are human and we sin and we all fall short of the glory of God. The joy is that the Spirit leads in there as well and God works His will in His way. And yes, to argue, that's your job as a lawyer, I get it, um, to argue for truth, but again, and I think that it's about relationship. It's about caring for those who can't care for themselves. <coughs> My voice is starting to go, folks. Um, it is about um, being... Um, I'm not telling people you can't argue, but when the emotion gets to the point where 
you're wanting the destruction of the person sitting in front of you, then you've lost your way. I'm going to...